Hello and welcome to CBS Radio Mystery Theater from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. You know- this is Dick McDaniel inviting you to stay tuned for the CBS Mystery Theater and the Mutual Radio Theater and our next news at 12 midnight. The CBS Radio Mystery Theater presents... I'm E.G. Marshall. One of the compensations, I'm told, of advanced age is becoming an eccentric. When one is young and on into middle age, eccentricities are regarded with suspicion. We are expected to conform, to be more or less like, or at least similar to others. But in old age, our eccentricities, our oddities and peculiarities are somehow transformed into traits that appear rather dear and delightful. And we can even be loved for them. It's something to look forward to. Not much, but something. What are you doing there, my girl? Why, reading the scriptures, sir. Are you indeed? Let's have a look. Oh, please, sir. Ha uh-huh. ha. I thought as much. A mirror. A mirror concealed between the pages. Out. Out with you. Out of this house, you baggage. Our mystery drama, House Without Mirrors, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Elspeth Eric and stars Paul Hecht and Norman Rose. I'll be back shortly with Act One. said before that eccentricity is tolerated, often affectionately, in the elderly. However, the story we bring you now does not concern an elderly person. It's about a man who at the start of our drama is about 35 years of age, but his eccentricity dates back to an earlier time, and it was not tolerated or regarded with affection. If I could have afforded a house along the riverbank, I should most certainly have lived in one. But as things stood at this particular time, I had to content myself with daily walks along the riverside for a breath of fresh air and an amount of healthy exercise. So it was that I came to notice and be interested in the man who emerged each morning from one of the houses that so happily overlooked that placidly flowing river. Sir, uh, sir, I beg your pardon. Mm, how's that? I don't mean to intrude, but... Is there um, something I can do for you? Yes, uh, actually there is. Well, that's your service, sir. Uh, I, um, I walk along the river each morning at the same time, and um, each morning I see you come out of your house. It is not my house. No. Oh, I, I, I thought, well, I assumed that... I am merely a servant in that house. Oh, I uh, I didn't know. The house belongs to a gentleman named Mr. Oswald Strange. But I never see Mr. Strange. 
Of course, he may leave his house at other hours when I am not here to witness his departure. Mr. Strange never leaves the house. Oh, I'm sorry. Is he, uh, is he an invalid? Not precisely. Not precisely. Let us say he is incapacitated. Ah, ah yes, I, uh, I understand. Well, anyway, it was yourself who first interested me and has continued to pique my curiosity. Oh, in what way, may I ask? Well, each morning you come out of the house after a great jingling of bolts and door chains, which I cannot help but hear on those occasions when I happen to be directly in front of the house. You, you appear, you step forward and stand upon the doorstep. Uh, forgive me. If you feel I intrude upon your privacy... <laughs> I do not regard it as an intrusion. There's nothing to forgive. Pray, continue. Thank you. I shall. Well, standing on the doorstep, I, I see you look around and sniff the air. And then you come forward. You cross the road, look down into the river. Uh, you do it, may I say, with the air of a man accomplishing a self-imposed task from which nothing is supposed to come. Not entirely true. But go on. Thank you. Then, having done this, you cross the road again. Turning on the threshold to take a final inhalation of air, you disappear once again into the house, bolting and chaining the door as if there were no possibility of its being reopened for at least a week. And yet, the very next day, you appear again, unbolt, unchain the door, sniff the air, cross the road, look into the river, and the identical performance repeated day after day after day. Uh, you cannot censure me for being curious. Curious as to what? As to why you do this each day. I do it to check on my appearance. That's why I do it. To check on your appearance. Is that what you said? That is what I said. To check on my appearance. After all, as valet and companion to a gentleman such as Mr. Oswald Strange... I cannot permit myself to appear unkempt and slovenly. No, but surely it can't be necessary to look at your reflection in the river. Surely there's a looking glass you could employ for the purpose? There isn't a looking glass in all that house, sir. No looking glass? Is that what you said? It's some peculiar fancy of my master's. There isn't one in any single room in the house. Not one. How very odd. Why should there be no looking glass in any of the rooms? Ah, sir. There is the mystery. It's just a fancy on the part of my master. His ways are queer ones. And this fancy about the mirror is one of them. In hiring a new servant, the very first stipulation he makes has always made... Is that about the looking glass? It has been one of my duties to explain the thing as far as it could be explained before any servant could be taken into the house. But how could you know that there would never be one? Ah, there's the rub, sir. I could never be absolutely positive, especially with the woman servants. What lies they would tell. They would protest that they didn't want to look into a mirror... And all the while, the wench would have a looking glass of some kind or another hid away among her clothes upstairs. 
Sooner or later, she would breathe out. And leave it about somewhere, rather. Where like as not the master might see it. I well remember one of them. An ugly one she was. Marked with the smallpox, something terrible. And forever reading her prayer book at odd times. One day, I came into the kitchen, and there she was, at the table. Arabella? Yes, Mr. Macy? This is the day for polishing the silver, is it not? Yes, Mr. Macy, I, I believe it is. Then what are you doing here in the kitchen? Doing a bit of studying. Huh? And what are you studying, Arabella? Why, the scriptures, of course. And which part of the holy book commands your attention at this hour of the morning when you should be caring for the silverware? Why, uh, Ecclesiastes, Mr. Macy. Oh, a great book. Full of the most meritorious advice. Don't you think so, my girl? Oh, yes, sir. Most instructive. Certainly you won't object if I read a verse or two over your shoulder. Oh, eh? Mr. Macy, I... Ah, I thought as much. A mirror. Oh, Mr. Macy, I, I... A mirror concealed between the pages. I, I needed to check the part in my hair. Did you indeed, my girl? Did you think a neat part in your hair would improve your appearance? Oh, Mr. Macy, please, sir. You wouldn't give me the sack, would you, sir? You wouldn't do that. You fully understood the terms of employment when you took on the position. No mirrors. No mirrors of any kind, shape, or form. Oh, yes, sir, but... No butts. Go upstairs and pack. Be out of the house. Within the hour. I watched the poor girl leave, carrying her poor belongings in a battered portmanteau. It was all I could do to keep the tears from my eyes. Yes, I can well imagine. Of course, I had to tell Mr. Strange the reason for the girl's leaving. He'd taken a real liking to her. She was most efficient in her work. So, I had to tell him her transgression. And how did he react to that? A look of infinite sadness came over his face. He sat for some length of time with his head in his hands, his shoulders bowed. I waited motionless until he could bring himself to speak. At last, he raised his head, rose, walked over to me. Why must I punish others for the sin which is my own, he said. That is what he said, sir. Then he walked out of the room. Sin? What sin did he refer to? That I cannot tell you, for he has never chosen to tell me. <laughs> you I have a wild desire to fathom the mystery of this man who cannot abide the presence of a mirror. Is there, um, is there no way you can persuade him to confide in you? Uh, gentlemen such as Mr. Oswald Strange do not confide in their servants. But there must be someone, somewhere, who knows, who at least can furnish a clue. Uh, there is one. You might go to see Dr. Garden. 
And who is Dr. Garden? My master's very old friend. He's the only person who might know my master's secret. And where do I find this Dr. Garden? Uh, in that house right there. Next door to that of Mr. Strange. Yes, but how do I approach him? What is the tactful way to go about it? Well, if you like, sir, I will tell him that you propose to call upon him. Dr. Garden trusts me completely. You see, I was once in the service of Dr. Garden. And when Mr. Oswald Strange appeared on the verge of insanity or even death, he requested me to move in with Mr. Strange in an attempt to look after him. And that is what I have been doing ever since. That's amazing. Well, then shall I inform Dr. Garden that you will call at his house this afternoon? Say, at uh, four o'clock. I shall be there. I shall most certainly be there. I am very grateful to you, Dr. Garden, for permitting me to intrude upon you this way. Oh, not at all. John Macy told me of your interest in the case of my poor friend. How How is his health, Doctor, as of now? I'm afraid there is no amendment or any prospect of amendment. I'm extremely sorry to hear that. Old Macy has told you I take it some details of his peculiar condition, has he not? Uh, he has told me something, and he says you may know all about it. All about it? No, I'm afraid I don't know all. Perhaps I shall never know. Certainly not unless one day he elects to tell me. I only know what happens when he comes into the presence of a looking glass. But as to the circumstances which have led to his being haunted in the strangest fashion that I have ever heard of, I, well, I know no more of them than you do. Haunted? You believe him to be haunted? What else am I to call it? Haunted by the past or some memory of the past? If we could but locate that memory and bring it out into the light, well, perhaps we shall one day... If he lives to tell us. Suppose you tell me how you came to know Oswald Strange, Dr. Garden. It's as well to begin at the beginning. Uh, yes. Our quixotic acquaintance started on board an Italian steamer bound from Civita Vecchia to Marseille. If it is true that our ghosts are but memories of the past then all of us are, in very truth, haunted and will be to the end of our days. Still, it is comforting to think that not all our memories are hideous or malevolent or wretched. Certainly, some are tender and loving and merry. So, all our ghosts are not hideous or malevolent or wretched. Quite a few are loving and merry and tender. I'll be back with Act Two shortly. A man accustomed to walk daily along a certain riverbank has become intrigued by another who emerges each day from a certain house at a certain hour to gaze into the flowing river. Upon being asked the reason, the man replies that it is to check upon his appearance, since the master of the house, whose servant he is, cannot abide mirrors. Wishing to pursue the origin of this idiosyncrasy, the questioner has been advised to call at the house next door where lives a doctor garden, physician to the man who abhors mirrors. 
It is appropriate that I interpolate here the fact that I aspired to become a writer, a weaver of tales, uh, perhaps one day to earn my living by such endeavors. Anything which stirred my imagination was grist to my mill, and the tantalizing bits which I had gleaned from John Macy about the man who permitted no mirrors in his house excited me enormously. So it was that I found myself in Dr. Garden's study, sitting literally on the edge of my chair, waiting for the good doctor to get on with the story of Oswald Strange. Uh, forgive my poor manners. I neglected to ask you if you'd care for some tea. Oh, oh, thank you, no. There's no trouble. I can ring for some. No, I'm so eager to learn what I can about your friendship with Oswald Strange that truthfully, tea would be a distraction. Our friendship had a most inauspicious beginning, I assure you. The first morning on board the Italian steamer, after a rather uncomfortable night, I was shaving in my cabin. The door was open to improve the quality of the air. Well, sir, suddenly this stranger comes up behind me, glances for a moment into the small mirror before which I was standing, and without a word, tore it from the nail and dashed it to pieces at my feet. Good Lord. At first, his face was livid with passion. A passion of fear, it seemed to me, rather than anger. But it changed after a moment, and he seemed rather ashamed of what he had done. I myself was in a frightful rage. Yes, no wonder. I gave it to him in a style of language which I now regret, but which I hope was excusable at the time. Clumsy, lumbering ox. Do you know you've made me cut myself? What the devil do you think you're about? I didn't mean to. You didn't mean. You didn't mean. You walk in here like a madman, come up behind me without a word, look without permission over my shoulder, and seize the mirror I'm using and smash it to bits. And you say you didn't mean to? It's true. It was as deliberate an act as I have ever witnessed. Don't tell me you didn't mean it. But I didn't. Impudent fool. Please, sir, let me speak. Pertinent idiot. Sir, I tend to you my most abject apologies. Believe me, I'm deeply sorry for what I did. You've every right to be sorry. It was pure accident, sir. Believe me. Accident? You think I'll swallow that feeble explanation? Well, perhaps not. Call it... Call it an uncontrollable impulse, if you will. A sort of seizure which comes over me. Ah. Uh, now, look here. I'm a doctor. Uh, Garden is my name. Dr. Garden. I'm Oswald Strange. What you said interests me. Perhaps on our voyage to Marseille, we can spend some time together. Oh, I should be delighted. And take it as some indication that you've pardoned my outburst. Oh, yes, I, I have, I have. Now I'll just finish shaving my face without perforce the benefit of a looking glass. I did not altogether lose sight of Mr. Strange on board, or even after we had completed our sea journey to Marseille. I found him a pleasant companion up to a certain point. <clears throat> um, up, up to a point, you were saying, Doctor? Well, there was always a, a reserve about him. He was uncommunicative about his past life. Most especially, he would never allude to his travels or his residence in Italy, which, however, I thought I could discern was a long one. He spoke Italian well and seemed familiar with the country, but disliked to talk about it. So you continued your travels with Oswald Strange, did you? Well, more or less, off and on. We would meet and then separate and then meet again. There were times when I, with a pretty large experience, was almost afraid to be with him. Really afraid? Yes, really afraid. 
His attacks were sudden and violent. And it was one most extraordinary feature connected with them all. Some horrible association of ideas took possession of him when he found himself before a certain object. May I hazard a guess, Doctor? Was that certain object a mirror? Yes, quite so. After we traveled together for some time, I... And I dreaded the sight of a mirror hanging harmlessly against a wall or standing on a dressing table. It begins to sound as though you feared such a sight almost as much as he did. Yes, you are right. I did. But one night, the worst things always happen at night, don't you think? <laughs> oh, yes, it often seems so, at any rate. Well, Strange and I arrived at a small town in the central district of Auvergne, a place but little known out of the line of railways... The weather had been rather against us. The day had been dull and murky, the heat stifling, and the sky had threatened mischief since morning. At sundown, these threats were fulfilled. The thunderstorm, which had been all day coming up, burst over the place where we were lodged. I have never been persuaded that sudden changes of weather, which have so much effect upon animals and even on inanimate objects, can fail to have some influence on a piece of machinery so sensitive and intricate as the human frame. Do you not agree with me? I do indeed. I firmly believe that it was at least in part due to the disturbed state of the atmosphere that on this particular evening I felt nervous and depressed. And when my new friend, Strange, and I parted for the night, I felt as little disposed to go to rest as ever I did in my life. The thunder was still lingering among the mountains, seeming sometimes nearer, sometimes further off, but it never ceased altogether. Oh, I was... I was quite unable to shake off a succession of painful ideas. His image was almost continually before me. You can understand how, with all that had gone before, it would be. Yes, I think I can. Well, there was a door between our rooms, and the partition dividing them was not very thick. Yet, I heard no sound since I parted from him that he was there at all. Much less that he was awake and stirring. I was in a mood, sir. A mood which made the silence terrible to me. I had foolish fancies that, uh, oh, he was lying there dead or in a fit or whatnot. And what were the thunder and all my fancies took possession of me. I could bear it no longer. I went to his door. After listening very intently, but quite in vain for any sound, I... I knocked very sharply. There was no answer. The suspense was becoming unendurable. Without further ceremony, I turned the handle of the door and went in. It was a great, bare room. So imperfectly lighted by a single candle... Except when the lightning flashed, it was impossible to see into its great dark corners. But from the moment I entered that room, sir, the action of my senses and the faculties of my mind were held fast by the ghastly figure which sat motionless before a looking glass. Oswald Strange? A looking glass? Aye, sir. Oswald Strange sitting before a mirror. I cannot impress upon you how terrible it was. The weak light of the lone candle shone upon his face, lighting it from below. He was leaning forward, his hands upon the table where stood the mirror. He gazed into the glass with a terrible 
fixity. The sweat was on his face. His rigid features and his pale lips were horrible in that feeble light. He was completely stupefied and lost. Oswald. Oswald Strange, it is I. Dr. Garden, don't you know me? Uh, come. Come away from the table. Uh, come, my friend. Come sit in the chair by the bed. Now, don't be frightened. I am here to take care of you. You know that, don't you? No, of course you do. Now, now sit down. There. No, you are overtired and you feel the weather. Don't you think you ought to be in bed? Now, suppose you lie down and, and let me try my skill in mixing you a composing draft. How will that be, hmm? I'm better now. Yes. Well, that's fine. Now, let me go to my room and, and fetch some medicines. I'll be right back. No, don't go. In heaven's name, don't go. Don't leave me. Well, all right. If you wish me to stay. I do, I do. Then I shall. Now, now tell me what I can do for you. Fitch, the mirror. The, the mirror, you said? That mirror. There, on the table. Very well, if you insist. I do. I do insist. All right. Now, I have it. Now, what shall I do with it? Hold it up to my face. You sure this is what you want? Directly in front of my face. Very well. Now, look into it. Over my shoulder, look into the mirror. All right. What do you see? Tell me what you see. See? Why, I, I see a very pale face with sunken cheeks. What? Sunken cheeks and, and two hollow eyes with large pupils. You mean... You mean that you... You see it too? See what? That face. That face. That face. Which is not mine. Oh, no, no. The face I see always instead of my own. My dear man, no. I, I see you. Only you. It, it was your face I described as I saw it. None other. Look again. Look in the glass again. Tell me what you see. Whose face is there? Why, yours, of course. Now tell me, whose... Whose face do you see? His. Only his. Always his. Always his. His. Always his. And with that, he passed out. Poor man. Yes, you may well say so. But I knew what to do now. Here was something I could understand. I had with me my usual small stock of medicines, and I did what was necessary. He was very ill, at death's door for some days, and I could not leave him, though there was urgent need for me to be back in London. Now, when he began to mend, I sent to England for my servant, John Macy. Ah, yes, uh, whom I met. I knew I could trust Macy to the utmost. Acquainting him with the outlines of the case, I left him in charge of my patient, with orders that he be brought to this country as soon as he was fit to travel. Which clearly he did. Yes, and with some success. Strange was able to lease the house next to mine. Absolutely incredible. Mm. 
It is nearly a year now since my poor friend took up residence next door to me. For some months now, he's been daily getting weaker and weaker. John Macy has been his constant companion. Oh, what if not for John? Well, heaven knows. And in all this time, neither you nor Macy has been able to ascertain what face Oswald Strange sees when he looks into a mirror. Never. Well, has neither of you asked him, pressed him for an explanation? I see you know very little of the nature of hallucination. Yeah, little or nothing, I must admit. To the one who hallucinates, the hallucination is quite real. Nothing in this world and no one can persuade him that what he sees or hears in some cases is illusory. What he sees, he sees, really sees. Then what's to be done for the poor man? Very little, I'm afraid. Except to wait, to watch him, to make him as comfortable as possible. Keep him from getting too excited, ensure him what peace of mind we can, and hope against hope that the hallucination will disappear. Yes, but will it, do you think? I do not know. I cannot tell. It is beyond me. Dr. Gordon! Doctor! That sounds like Macy. Come in, Macy. Dr. Gordon! You had best come to Mr. Strange. He needs you badly, sir. Is he worse? I think, sir, that he is dying. We all live with delusions. Why, there's hardly a woman alive who does not believe in her secret heart. Her appearance has changed only a little since she was 20 or 30. Many men share the identical delusion. But when delusion develops or degenerates into hallucination, then madness may threaten, perhaps even death. I'll be back shortly with our final act. Dr. Garden has been relating to his visitor the story of his erratic friendship with Oswald Strange, the man who cannot endure mirrors. As the curtain fell on our second act, John Macy, entrusted by the doctor with the day-to-day care of his peculiar patient, has suddenly appeared and urged the doctor to come immediately to the bedside of Oswald Strange, who, says Macy, may be dying. The face of John Macy was ashen pale. A tremor seemed to pass through his frail body. His hands trembled and his voice shook. At this shocking announcement, Dr. Garden sprang to his feet. He, too, was clearly perturbed in the extreme. What's that? What did you say about Mr. Strange? I think, Doctor, he may be dying. You'll discover at once. Of course, immediately. Uh, Dr. Gardner. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, what am I to do with you? Would it be possible for me to come with you? Why, well, yes, I suppose that would be all right. Come. Uh, thank you. Thank you, sir. I've never seen Oswald Strange in the flesh. He's not a pretty sight at the moment. Yes, we'll cut across the lawn. It'll be quicker. Of course, he may be only sleeping, Dr. Garden, but I fear there may be no awakening. Where is he lying? On the chaise, in the small room on the first floor. I left the door unlocked. Uh, permit me. Uh, straight ahead, Doctor. You know the room. Yes, I know it well. If he still sleeps, 
We best keep our voices down. That's quite right. Speak softly. There he is, Dolphin Garden. Yes. Ah. Well, he's not dead, Macy. Oh, thank heaven for that. He's opening his eyes. Oswald, it is Dr. Garden. I'm here with you, and, and so is John Macy. And who is that other? Do you wish him to leave? He knows something of your sufferings and is interested. But he will go away if that's what you want. Let him stay. Very well. Is there anything you want? Anything we can get you? Yes. I want a mirror. A mirror? Are you quite sure you want a mirror? I'm sure. Or do you think it wise? You're in a weakened state. I'm dying. Will you not grant me my final request? Macy, fetch a mirror for Mr. Strange. Yes, but there's no mirror in the house, sir. Well, then fetch one from my house. Yes, sir. Now, Macy has gone to get you a mirror. Ah, good. Prop me up, will you? I speak with difficulty. And I have something to say. We are listening. I loved my wife dearly. Her name was Lucy. She was English. But after we were married, we lived a long time in Italy. She liked the country, and I liked whatever she liked. She liked to sketch, too. And ambitions to be a painter one day. So I got her a teacher. He was an Italian. I shall not give his name. We called him the Master. Yes, the Master. Little did I know. Uh, oh, now you're growing short of breath, perhaps. Do not interrupt, please. I must finish. Very well. My wife, my Lucy, had a maid. Had it not been for her, I might never have found out what I did find out. And what was that? I'll tell you. Then I can rest. One day, I sent for this maid of my wife's. You wish to speak to me, Mr. Strange? Oh, yes. Is the master in the house at the moment, you know? Oh, yes, sir. He's in his room. Would you ask him to come down here for a short while? Tell him I'd like to discuss my wife's progress. Oh, he's sure to know all about that. Huh? How's that? What did you say? Nothing, sir. I'm not sure he would wish to be disturbed at the moment, sir. And why not? He's writing a letter. Is there any reason why he cannot break off writing a letter to speak with his employer? Is it a letter of such vast importance... It's a letter to your wife, Mr. Strange. A letter to my wife? But he sees my wife each day. Why would he be writing her a letter? It's a love letter, sir. A, a love letter? Is that what you said? That is what I said. You're a vile, insidious woman. No, sir. A scandalmonger, a troublemaker. What I know, I know, Mr. Strange... And I know more than I have told. You have told enough. Get out of this room. And out of my employ. I know what I know. 
How can you possibly know the things you claim to know? Because, Mr. Strange, I was once a victim of the Master's wiles. In another house than this, under similar circumstances, he seduced my mistress, then he seduced me. A treacherous, insidious man he is, Mr. Strange. Under cover of his artistic profession, he takes advantage of every opportunity to conquer and degrade whatever woman comes under his spell. And his spell is very powerful. Take my word for it. Is it possible that you yourself are still under his powerful spell? That it is the fury of a frustrated girl that prompts you to slander my wife? It's true. I did love him once. I can't believe it. Mine, you see... Go upstairs now, Mr. Strange, to the master's room... There you will find the villain writing to your wife. A frenzy took possession of me as I listened to those words. I am naturally vindictive. You must know that. You must remember that. And now my longing for revenge was like a thirst. A thirst. You should rest, Oswald. No, no, no. I must go on to the end. If you must. When the woman repeated those words, he is writing to your wife. I laid hold of my pistols as by an instinct. I managed to get to his room unobserved. When I entered, I saw him immediately. He sat at the only table in the room writing at a traveling desk by the light of a single candle. It was a rude table at which he sat. And before him, exactly before him, there was a looking glass. Oh, a looking glass. I stole up behind him as he sat and wrote by the light of the candle. I looked over his shoulder at the letter and I read... Oh, Heavenly Father, I read, Dearest Lucy, my love, my darling, I pulled the trigger of the pistol I held in my right hand and I killed him. My poor friend. But, before he died, he looked up once, just once, not at me, oh no. Not at me directly. But at my image before him in the mirror. Oh, my friend. His face, such a face, full of horror and shock. His face has appeared in every mirror ever since that moment. And mine... My face is gone. Strange. Oswald. He's... He, he, he's no, gone. no, he's not dead. Simply exhausted. He's so still. Hand me my bag. I'll give him a stimulant. Yes, Doctor, here it is. Hey, Doctor Gardner, I've brought the mirror. Hey, here, I'll take it. Now we'll just wait and be quiet till the stimulant takes effect. Yes, sir. Lucy. Lucy. He's coming round. Amore. Amore. 
para mí, a esposa. Amor. Lucy. Lucy. His wife. I will. Provision for Lucy. In my will. Look, doctor. He's opening his eyes. That man. That man. What does he hold in his hand? It's the mirror you requested, Mr. Strange. I want it. Hold it in front of my face. Is this wise, Oswald? Is it good, do you think, to revive this misery of your lifetime when it's so near its close? Have you not punished yourself enough without this? You must let me have my way in this. For if now, when I look, I see a right once more, I shall take it as a sign. Hold the mirror before his face, then. Ah, I see. I held the mirror up to the dying man as he looked intently into it the three of us who stood by his bedside saw a look of purest rapture spread over his face and his frail body relaxed it left no doubt that the face which had haunted him for so long had in his last hour disappeared and the face he saw in the mirror was his own. And that is the story of an hallucination. That an hallucination is self-induced makes no difference whatsoever. As is the case with all psychosomatic ailments, the pain is very real to the sufferer. For the sufferer, it truly exists. To the sufferer, as in the case of Oswald Strange, it can bring death. I'll be back shortly. Do you know why a joint savings account with your spouse, life insurance in each other's names, even joint ownership of your home could someday cause your family to pay thousands of dollars in extra taxes? For authoritative information and answers to vital questions concerning your family's financial security, you should read an important book from Dow Jones and Company called How to Save Taxes Through Estate Planning. In easy-to-understand, everyday language, it explains how to make sure your hard-earned assets are protected from unnecessary and crippling taxes. Vital information that every family should know. You can order this valuable book now and have it charged to your Visa, Master Charge, or American Express card by calling toll-free 800-228-5000. How to Save Taxes Through Estate Planning is only $8.95 plus $1 postage and handling. And if you call now, you'll also get free a 24-page companion financial planning workbook. So call now, 800-228-5000. Toll-free, 800-228-5000. drama House Without Mirrors was adapted from a short story written by Charles Collins 
in the year 1866 and originally titled The Compensation House. We've altered a few words, even as we have altered the title, but the plot and essence remain the same as they were more than a century ago. Our cast included Paul Hecht, Norman Rose, Robert Dryden, and Bryna Rayburn. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. And now, a preview of our next tale. Uh, Mademoiselle, I am most happy to make your acquaintance. Thank you, Lieutenant. I am aware of your father. He lived here for several years and, if I recall, married a lovely English woman, yes? That's right. My mother died a few years ago. Ah, and the professor? In good health. He's the head of the anthropology department in Ithaca. Splendid. And the missing girl, Antoinette Duchamp. Well, she lives with us. She came here on a holiday. Any clues, Lieutenant? I have one, but do not excite yourself. We have made a thorough check of all automobile accidents between here and La Chapelle. Now, there is one that may provide the clue we seek. She, she was in an accident? Uh, the car was in an accident. Heavy rain, a rock slide. What about my cousin? Well, there was no trace of her. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.